This episode of the Wiffle League Podcast was recorded on Monday, December 4th, 2017. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. Good evening and welcome inside Studio H, episode 23 of the Wiffle League podcast. I am once again guest hosting. My name is Chris Lazzarini. I am in the studio with our stats coordinator, Josh Wittenberg. How you doing, Josh? Doing well, Laz. How you doing? Uh, I'm okay. I'm okay. Uh, we have our content producer, Justin Filardo, in the room next door. Justin, how's it going? It's going great. Yeah, we're doing really, really well. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, running the the ones and twos, we have Jason Hillenbrand, our audio producer. How's it going? Oh, going all right. Uh, also, in <laughs> also in the studio, we have our returning guest, Brandon Eckert, uh, a beaming smile that hasn't gone off his face since October. <laughs> how's it so, going? So, uh, how you doing? Good, good. I'm feeling like I got a weird sense of deja vu right here. That'll happen. You know, it's your re- a returning guest. Ah, I mean, that's that's yeah. It. Uh, but it's weird because I'm hosting, so I, I, well, we'll figure that out later. Uh, so since the last time I had a chance to speak with you all, but, or we had a podcast, we've had a Wiffle Series crown uh, adorned to the Smokies. So, Brandon, uh, as much as it pains me, how does it feel? Feels great. It, I mean, it's I'm back to back champions like that. How often has that been done by like Hanchman, Satry, anyone else? And Leap, know. Dave Leap too, because Dave and I have been in the same team. So, uh, yeah, it's it's been pretty wild, unexpected, uh, and I am I am just soaking it all in. Haven't stopped watching videos over and over and over again. If you look at the videos, I think there's like fifteen hundred plays on like on one of the videos on online, and that's uh, probably like fourteen hundred of them are from me. Well, yeah, I mean, in, in speaking of that, it's if you're going to rewatch a series, I mean, I feel like it, being a member of that, it was it was as, as intense as I remember a series being. Every game was close, even if the score doesn't always mean that. Uh, pitching was strong from both sides. I, I mean, it, it was the reason why I think there were some reactions the way they were at the end of the series was because of how emotional and how just involved it was. It was draining. I was exhausted after mm-hmm. that. Uh, I know that Satri and, and the rest of the Tortugas felt just – drained after after that effort so uh I'm, I'm not sure what it was like to watch as a fan but i know that it, it was intense in the moment uh and a really really hard fought series i can tell you as a fan it felt like you were watching the cubs win the world series like <laughs> that series w- that went to seven games and extra innings in the seventh game it was just so it was what you wanted the Wiffle Series to be. It was it was an excellent excellent pitching. You know, you had great hits, you had great plays. It was it was so exciting and and it was just a lot of fun being out there. And it was great weather too. I mean, it was a perfect oh, day, yes. perfect day for mid October. I yeah. wasn't you know I wasn't a big fan of playing that game so late you know in October, but it actually worked out really well. Like that weather was just phenomenal. I love a fall classic, and that yeah. was a classic. I mean, and you, uh, Brandon, you were the the centerpiece of two. Like unbelievably clutch moments. So game two, you have, uh, I believe, Jason homered to make it three to one. Three to two. Sorry, three to two. And uh, 
I came up with two outs and put one uh, that probably lands on the other side of the fence. Have you have, have you not made that jumping catch? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't tell you how far it would have landed on the other side of the fence. but So you guys have seen me rob home runs before. You specifically, Laz. I've probably robbed you at least twice. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> but usually I'm like stumbling and falling through the fence and everything. And this one was like completely opposite. Like you guys have seen the movie Angels in the Outfield, right? Like this felt felt different. Like I normally like go two hands up, just like just diving through a fence. But this time I was just like, I kind of got this Zen over me and I just, I kind of waltzed over there and just stuck my hand up. And I felt like I just kind of levitated and just somehow missed the fence and caught it. And I'm just like, I I don't know. I'd never done anything like that where it's like one handed because every time I've ever tried to one hand a ball, I always drop it. And like, that's the one time I've caught it. Just, had to be fate. Yeah, and I wouldn't even say it was a turning point because we – I thought the Tortugas carried the momentum for a good chunk of game three as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then you found yourself at another moment that is your first career home run uh, and obviously a major turning point in that game. So um, I don't want to jump ahead into some of my deeper dive interview questions, but uh, what was it like to be in that moment? So, um, yeah, I mean, I actually didn't hit well all series – my only hit up to that point had gone two feet and it had to be challenged. Um, so I wasn't hitting very well. Um, at that point, I had come up multiple times with runners on third and I wasn't able to make contact or good contact. So at that point, I told myself, Brandon hit a sack fly, just get it in the air, whatever you do, I just need to make contact. And I did and I got it in the air and, you know, never in my wildest imagination what i've ever actually thought that was going to go over the fence maybe a gust of wind kicked up or something but it just i, I started rounding first and i looked and i just kind of see the ball landing on the other side and you know just total elation and then blackout cross i was rounding second base and i don't remember any of this like i think you kind of see me do like this weird like knee thing like i don't, I don't really know what was going on there but um uh, rounded second don't remember it uh probably came out of my blackout right when I got back into the audience and and uh was with my family and I was just like oh my god like did that really just happened you know it did and that series uh it did happen as well I mean that was like I said a classic uh I it, it sucks being on the on the downside of it and obviously looking at future seasons it it makes it even though the games we play aren't we don't play that many and we, we played that was like my 15th game with the Tortugas but for some reason it feels like a season and yeah. it actually felt like we had put in the time I know that you know Satri did a great job as a captain getting us together for practices and you know keeping the team up there camaraderie wise and chemistry and for some reason I mean I believe uh, Russ or Steve might have had some comments about the amount of swag that we purchased as Tortugas <laughs> it's all uh, pretty much um, sitting in the back of the closet at this point but uh, yeah, just it was a great to be a part of, even on the downside of things. Well, I mean, let's not forget game one. I mean, let's look at some of the positives for the two Tortugas. I mean, walk off Grand Slam. Like, how cool is that? Like, that had to feel good for you guys. That had to feel really good for Mike. I mean, bases loaded, nobody out, infield pulled in. You guys are probably going to win anyways. But walk off Grand was pretty, pretty awesome and a little bit demoralizing for us, you know. That yeah, point, I'm sitting there thinking, "Oh crap!" With how well you know the pitching had been up until that point, you assume that every single run, every moment is going to be important. All of a sudden, you put up a, a grand slam. It was a big moment. It was uh, another big moment that uh, again I don't want to dwell on, but it was a controversial call at third base. So um, I will also mention the 
the bad luck that I felt kind of uh, cursed us a little bit. A couple floater triples down the right field line that fell fair by a few feet that could have easily blown foul, but one of them resulted in a play at third. Uh, I will say this, and Russ has heard me say it, as far as the call he made in the field, he made the best he could with what he could see. He was in the position he should have been in. I have no blame against him at all. Uh, it's just the, the luck of the camera, the luck of the play, uh, and the bad luck on our side. Either way, the, the play itself was very close. Oh, yeah. I know that my point of view from basically the pitcher circle is one thing. Uh, I know that other, others shared my point of view. In my belief, you were out. But mm-hmm. I also – I've been quoted as saying I would never want to umpire in this league because I don't know what the right call is almost every single time. The really unfortunate thing about this is that I, I feel like if I knew that I was out, I would have said it. Like, I know the umpire has to make the call, but I would have been – like, I would have gone over Russ and said, no, I, I was out. You saw me when I when I got pegged and I was down, and then I got back up and started running. I mean, I didn't know the rules. I didn't know if I could get up. I actually didn't feel the ball hit me. So I had thought the ball missed me. That's why I got up and ran. And then later on, people were telling me, like, no, no, you were definitely pegged. And I'm like, oh, if I was pegged, like, there's probably greater than 50% chance I was out. Like, but I have no way to gauge that. That's really what it boils down to. Like, I've looked at the video it's damn close like right sounds like you're admitting that you cheated yeah <laughs> no it's not <laughs> over 50 percent chance you are out it's and not you- a lie if you believe it <laughs> no at the end of the day uh you know my team has talked about it if we reacted in a way that was aggressive if we scoop the ball up back it up make a play on it we maybe the run doesn't score anyways a lot of things could have been different uh and i know that we as a council i'll tease this for later but there will be a conversation around what do we do with umpires? What do we do with replay challenges? Do we add some cameras? Do we add an umpire? Do we take it all the way and say, just play fair? I'm under the belief that if that play happens in the regular season, then we probably agree that you're out. But the, we, we had it now. It didn't go that way. So, again, it didn't make or break the series. It was a big point in the game. At the end of the day, uh, it'll, it'll bring up some questions that we have to have answered. But yeah. uh, it was obviously uh, – I didn't uh, – I didn't enjoy it in the moment. Well, I mean, even myself, like, I mean, this was an awesome series. I'm glad I won. Like, but it almost kind of marginally taints it for me, you know? Like, I, when we won the previous year as the Fireflies, like, we won fair and square. There were no controversies. We took care of business. This is always going to be in the back of my mind. Like, what if I was out? And what if the call went the, the other way? And, and you know, we, we could have lost. We could have won. We could have lost. So there's always that question in the back of my mind that's always going to kind of taint this. But then again, I had a game-winning home run, and I also had a game-saving home run catch, which was awesome. By the way, if I had to pick between the two, game-saving home run catch, way cooler. So you're admitting that you're cheating <laughs> is what I'm hearing. I ain't a cheater. <laughs> no, no, I, I will say, though, that I, I spoke with Russ basically when the series ended, the final out, and he was so – disappointed in his performance as the umpire and he felt that he ruined the series and that you know he made no correct calls and and i told him i said man you know i watched the exact same game that you watched and i had a pretty decent angle at most of the plays and i didn't think that he made a wrong call the the one call that i disagreed i think was the one that got overturned or whatever i disagreed slightly with him i think it was on the short one in the in the cert in the mm-hmm. arc right and but every other call i i kind of agreed 
I'm I'm pretty sure I definitely agreed with what he what he called. And if you watch the video, Russ is in a great position until Satri stands right in front of him. <laughs> so it's it's too bad because Russ had a great angle at Brandon diving back and the pitcher coming at him with the ball, and then Satri stands right in front of him and actually blocks the camera's angle at that too. I so. do hope Russ is listening because I've actually like I have video editing software I can slow this stuff down. I've gone back and I've watched every close play, aside from the the one at third and the other one in the pitcher circle that it, that got overturned. Not the pitcher circle, the arc that got overturned. He was a hundred percent on calls. Oh yeah, it's amazing. And and like maybe. just just even like maybe the- <laughs> maybe there's a play where your foot didn't get back to the circle quite in time. Oh, it was there. Don't worry. Okay, I, I looked. Okay. Uh, yeah. I don't even hard. know what play I- you guys are talking about. I know a play he's talking about. Game three, first inning. Yeah. But anyways. But no, uh, Russ, you did a fantastic job. Yeah, I, agree. No, and I, I agree. I agree. And I think one of the things that we consider in the council is how do we avoid controversy? No one ever wants to win with because you're a better arguer or because someone didn't see something. So in general, it's going to be it's, – it's been a constant conversation. How do we deal with the worst-case scenario? But I wouldn't want anything to be taken away from the victory that you had. It did not necessarily change the outcome. It just was a, an important play that didn't go that way. Same thing with the, the catch you made or the home run. No matter what happens, it's just as a break that we didn't catch. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't feel bad about that. Yeah, and all the – aside from Jason getting drunk and – accidentally calling a overturned home run call in, in the Smokies versus uh, fire. Who, that who had we play nothing in? to do with the alcohol. <laughs> I don't even remember what Russ is and Steve's team's name were. Like, yeah, the umpires were fantastic, all of them. For, Good for job, guys. For the record, Russ is not listening, so we can <sighs> feel he'll, free. He'll listen eventually. Yeah. Well, Just feel, trash him. Point is, feel free to say whatever you want about <laughs> it. We'll edit it later. All right, well, I've uh, – I've already thought about this way more than I planned on. Uh, anybody from the other side, Jason, Justin, Josh, Brandon, any of you final thoughts on the Whipple Series 13 from a, either a fan or player perspective? I thought it was a great series, and I'm sad to learn that Brandon cheated. <laughs> so that's all I got. I will. I, I have a couple of memories that I will always take away with me and uh, will forever be in Whipple lore, hopefully winning a play of the year potentially. I don't know what the nominees are, but. Maybe one of those will be nominated. No, you're a cheater. (laughs) Yeah, we might have to reconsider that. (laughs) Stop the presses. All right. Well, that that wraps up our uh, our recap of the 2017 Whipple series and season. Uh, Again, it was it was quite a ride for for a Tortuga. I can tell you that much. Uh, So I did have a chance to to kind of scour the, sca- the stat book a little bit and uh, try to find some intri- interesting tidbits. So, <laughs> so at the end of our first segment. No government agency has jurisdiction over the truth. Tell them anything you want to, just don't tell them all the truth. Because <laughs> there are so few truths in this world that when you see one, That's you know it. You ask your king to his face. Ask him. Do you see if his eyes can convince you of the truth? And the truth shall set you free! <laughs> you can't handle the truth! So yes, your favorite segment is back. These ten things I know are true. I love this segment. 
So, uh, again, for those in the room, maybe Brandon, uh, but Josh as well, uh, if you want to chime in or react to any of these, feel free. Otherwise, uh, I'll just read through them and uh, see how fast I can bury this before we turn this into a two-hour podcast. Three hours. Oh, God. <laughs> All right, number one. Eight and one is a curse. The Tortugas and the Rubber Ducks lose in Wiffle Series after eight and one regular seasons. Too big for your britches. How's uh, Josh? How are the one seeds in the uh, Wiffle Series? Uh, they're okay. Like five hundred. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if they're even five hundred, but they always make it. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't missed one yet. <laughs> I will say the only uh, common denominator between those two teams is my presence on them. So skipping to number two. Don't feel so bad. Number two. Josh was tied for first with a 500 postseason batting average. And he was tied with Dave Leap. Oh, yeah, Dave. Dude, that guy is Mr. Postseason. Now, I know that we had... Both teams playing a playoff semifinal, which could potentially increase the amount of games played. That being said, the Tortugas played six playoff games, which is a reasonable number. It could have happened before. Either way, the caveats in case uh, the numbers sound so skewed, but the reality is six games is not uncommon. Well, it is uncommon, but it's not impossible. It's probably never happened, is what you're saying. Two, three-game series? It's possible. I don't know if a team's ever played in two, three-game series. Well, either way, Justin Florido broke the record for RBIs in the postseason by doubling the previous mark, which was six, and Justin had 12. Wow. How many of that was in the uh, in the semis? A great number. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was a lot. Come on, uh, stat man. I don't do it by game. Yeah, that's a little, t- oh, that's, that's a little that's tougher. Right. All right, number four. The four leaders in innings pitched this postseason. It was myself. Steve Schroeder, Jason, and Josh. So the four leading innings pitchers of the postseason, again, myself, Steve Schroeder, Jason, and Josh, we were within four-tenths of an average run allowed per game. So the best of those was 2.86, and the worst was 3.13. So that means the majority of the innings pitched this year, basically get rid of Paul, and uh, you have almost identical runs allowed per game. Thought Speak, that was interesting. Speaks to the state of pitching in this league. It's good. But consistent as well. Yeah, consistent. Well, it's good when you don't have Russ throwing in for more games than he did <laughs> because usually his postseason stats are asinine. All right, number five. 2017 broke records for runs, OPS, doubles, and home runs. Also tied the record for walks. So, again, probably more games played this year than other games, but still uh, quite a few records broken. That's regular season and postseason combined is what you're saying? Correct. Okay. What happens if we take out those two games that the uh, Yard Goats had against the uh, Smokies? Numbers change. <laughs> we can't do that. I know. That would be cheating. <laughs> well, I'm a cheater. You know something about that. <laughs> All right. Speaking of the regular season and postseason difference, the Yard Goats hit almost 100 points higher in the postseason. The Smokies hit almost 80 points higher knowing that some of that can be explained with a three-person defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Tortugas hit almost 40 points below their regular season numbers, but they still finished as the highest team batting average ever at 384. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised by that. The Tortugas had the four guys in the regular season that batted over 400. That's never, ever happened. 
Yeah, Satri had a really good regular season. I was looking at those stats. Yeah, it was uh, it was an offensive year for us, that's for sure. All right, I, I amend my statement. Laz was the worst on that team, and he hit 342. Yeah. So when your worst player hits 342, I think you're okay. All right, moving on to number seven. We are now over 1,100 innings played at Chestnut Park. And Twin Lakes, technically. And Twin Lakes. Having seen just over 4,600 at-bats. This is just kind of a – to put these numbers out there. We have 550 strikeouts, 288 walks, 741 players have crossed home plate, and there's been over 1,300 hits, 148 of which were home runs. As a league, we're hitting 289 and scoring 2.64 runs a game. So I know that Brian will continue to stream that sample size is irrelevant, that the uh, variables are too great. But when you get to 4,600 at-bats, I think there's some fun averages and numbers being put together. Well, there's also different stats stabilized quicker than other stats. Sure. Like I think strikeouts stabilize quicker than others. I don't remember the research on that. But so that 2.64 runs a game, that's like per team, right? Yeah. So, okay. Uh, all right. So this is, uh, I kind of alluded to this maybe off mic, but uh, my question is pitching wins championships. Usually <laughs> these Smokies had the highest postseason runs against average of any Wiffle Series champion at 2.72 runs a game. The next highest was the tourists at 1.43. <laughs> so typically pitching does win championships this year. That was a pretty high number. Well, the biggest thing that you need to consider when you look at the Smoky stats this year is that they did not win a regular season series because they suck. And then champions, they got super lucky by playing against a three person team in the playoffs because they suck and they couldn't beat a four person team. So then they they stumbled into the playoffs and anybody can or they stumbled into the series and anybody can get lucky over two or three games. Even Brandon Eckert can magically hit a home run, which he's never, ever done. He can close his eyes and swing as hard as he can, and magically the ball will just barely go over the fence when everybody's playing him super shallow because he doesn't hit home runs. I did not think that this anger would be coming from this side of the table and not this side of the table, but here it is. (laughs) I don't know, man. It's not anger. I'm just – I find it amazing that a team – backed their way into the Wiffle Series without winning a series legitimately. Well, we could have It frustrates won. me when we we set the record for most runs scored in a game playing against you. Well, we could have won that series. You could have. Well, you didn't. We chose not and to. And I know for a fact that you didn't. So it doesn't matter <laughs> where you could have. I could, I could theoretically hit a home run every at-bat if I swung for the fences and never missed the ball. I could also run a four-minute mile if I didn't get tired and ran four laps in a minute. I mean, I could, I could say I can do all of these things. And we didn't. Pitch you need Schroeder. to prove it. We didn't. You need to me. prove it. You did pitch you and Schroeder. I saw I you like walk a bunch of guys, and then you hightail it on out of there for Schroeder. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to pitch that day. Clearly, hey, it doesn't matter. We won the series. You can call it backing in. You can. I will say call that it backing in. There's going to be an asterisk on the trophy that we faced the three-person team. You don't know we could have won. Against the four-person team, you know, and then we took care of business in the Wiffle Series. Steve, Cheating or not? No? Okay. Cheating or not. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a chance. All right. 
to wrap up mercifully, number nine only. Uh, this is a quick one uh, and based on numbers again. But uh, JF, uh, over the course of the entire season, playoffs included, JF had nine. Sorry, eight. It says eight. JF had eight less total bases than the Fire Frogs. <laughs> and the Fire Frogs won yeah, the lucky. Wiffle Series. <laughs> well, no, no. The Fireflies did. Oh. The Fire Frogs. Uh, Are you one, also having One or two letter, just off. Uh, all right, and finally, uh, I know that we already know the Tortugas had a good offensive season, but the Tortugas broke the total bases uh, by one team record. So they, sorry, total bases by a team, they broke the record by 37. And the runs created record by 13. Who was the previous team? And the team OPS record by over 80 points, and they didn't win. Man, that's crazy. It's a lot of uh, records to break. So uh, we don't have any music for the next segment. But it is still stats-related. When you pour over the stats for as long as I did, you find out some more interesting things. So I'm going to get Josh and Brandon involved in this. Steve Andrews, if you want to yell and answer, you're more than welcome to do so. Uh, we have Steve Andrews in the room as well. Jason and Josh, uh, you're Josh. Jason and Justin, uh, you're welcome to chime in. Uh, but I also know you don't like talking much on these, so um, I'll move on if you don't. So I'm calling this little segment uh, Player Comps, real original title. Uh, or name that player, name his comp. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a stat line for you. My guess is that Josh is going to have the answer on his stat sheet. <laughs> so maybe I'll go to Brandon first. Uh, but I'm going to read you a quick couple of slash lines for a hitter. Uh, only hitting, no pitching. And uh, I'll have you guess who you think that player is. And then we're going to see if you can figure out who the nearly identical player comp is offensively for that person. So player number one. Has a career batting average. This is all postseason and regular season included. So total everything. Chestnut, right? Only a chestnut. And Twin Lakes. And, and Twin, Twin Lakes. Lakes. Has a career batting average of 323, an OPS of 888, has 13 home runs, and has created 58 runs, or 57.69. So again, uh, a chestnut batting average of 323, an on-base plus slugging of 888, 13 home runs, and 57.69 runs created. Any guesses? I'm going to go Russ Anderson. We have a winner. That is correct. Look at that. Good job. Somebody's been in the stats a little too much, I think. (laughs) No, I just... um, Don't you have two kids? The the homers are kind of a giveaway. I was trying to basically think, okay, 323, it's not Josh. And then it's, okay, who can hit some home runs? and potentially have a decent average, but not too great. And then I remember someone saying a stat one time, like there have been hitters that have had a 100, 200, and 300 season. And I remember like Russ was included on that list. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe that 100 season dragged him down a little bit average-wise. It's a lot of analysis in five seconds of reading. Seriously. All right, so then who do you think is his comp? So an- another line, someone whose career batting average is 321, two points lower. OPS of 842, so a little bit lower. Only eight home runs, but 56.98 runs created. So less than one run difference in runs created. Who do you think is the offensive player comp to Russ Anderson? Chris Lazzarini. Nope. I'll give you a hint. I'll give you a hint, Brandon. He leads the league in doubles in that time. Doubles, huh? Doubles. This guy's a double machine. It's unbelievable how many doubles he can hit. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't. It's The field doesn't allow it. Uh-uh. It's too little. Jason. That no. is correct. Jason only has eight home runs. Yep, but 25 doubles. 
got those wheels. Yeah. What's crazy is the the RBI count between those two guys. Russ has 45 RBIs. Jason has 43. That's mm. a really, a really interesting tight battle there. Correct. I used to be part of that, and I started being terrible. All right. Uh, next player comparison. So we're uh, we're going up a little bit. I know the options are less. I'm just more shocked about how similar these players are. First one, batting average, 331, OPS of .999, 19 home runs, and 74.36 runs created. I got two players in mind. Um, give me JF. That is incorrect. All right. My second guess was Schroeder. That is correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. If we if we would have told you it was forty time, you would have got it right away. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then we're gonna go to the next player who has a batting average of three eighty three, OPS of one point zero one eight, eight home runs and seventy three runs created. So, uh, fifty points higher in batting average, but eleven less home runs and I- nearly identical runs created. Shit, uh, Rich. No, you just guessed him. It was Justin. <laughs> oh. You were right to think that Schroeder and Justin are similar, but uh, the numbers are different in home runs. Yeah, Justin and Jason only have the eight home runs. That, that's what's throwing me off. Uh, that's I mean, incorrect. J- Falardo's got 18 home runs. That makes more sense. Okay, because yeah. I heard eight home runs, and I'm you like – You were looking at – you were combining a couple lines there. I'm saying like, uh, like, Justin just had four home runs in, like, one postseason or, like, series. Yeah. 18 and 19 are way more similar. That's yes. why it made more sense. Mm-hmm. All right. I'll give you that one. The last one. Last one. And we'll, we'll uh, retire this segment. Batting average, 268. OPS of 627. One home run and 27 runs created. Again, batting average of 268. On base plus slugging of 627. But just one home run. Dustin. Ding, ding. Spot on. Impressive. The, the one home run kind of limits it. So uh, most of this I was looking at runs created as the closest barometer. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's probably the most well-rounded stat to get all these together. So one of the closest I could get was uh, a batting average of 250, mm-hmm. OPS of 657. So 18 less points in batting average, but 30 more points in OPS, 10 home runs, and 31 runs created. Oh, I think I know who this is. Is it Mike Satry? Wow, it man. is. <laughs> you're you're not looking at the stats on your phone, I'm are you? I'm not looking at the stats. Jeez. Well, that is D- Dustin and Mike definitely strike me as like similar value, but kind of do it in a different way type players. Because Mike, he's going to be a little more power. Dustin's going to be hitting singles and doubles to right field. You know that the the other comp, like I mean, I think he's kind of picked it up a little bit, especially this year. Dave would fit kind of in that similar mold to me, but I think Dave's probably a little bit lower. He is. To you, Brandon? Yeah, well, yeah. Or to Dustin? I was thinking to Dustin. Oh. But. Yeah, no, Dave's had, Dave's had some years where he struggled. Yeah. So, that'll, you know, anytime you have a year where you bat close to 100, it's going to bring your average stats down significantly. Yeah, and trust me, I had to fight every ounce of strength to not include Paul's numbers just so I could include Paul's <laughs> numbers. He has no player comp because he's just – it's Paul. So. Hey, Paul's good. Okay. Paul Paul has – how many Paul's, home runs does Paul have? He's got like 12. Some, not 12. I know, he's got four. That's, That's still, still amazing. Four. Four. four times as many as Brandon Eckert. Yeah. And Dustin Eckert. That's fair. He's got twice as many as the Eckert brothers combined have. And, and Paul says there's too many Eckerts in this league, so – 
All right, well, Brandon, that's a, that's a pretty impressive uh, display of player comp and player guessing. I like so, that. That was a fun segment. Uh, unfortunately, it's going to be pretty hard to continue this segment because it's going to run out of players pretty quickly. But uh, we do have a lot more podcasts coming up, but not until we take a short break. Uh, I believe I was given that cue. So, uh, Jason, take us out. Welcome back. We are uh, rolling and grooving in here. It was a toasty one, so uh, I'm down a hoodie, but uh, we'll roll strong. And I know that you're all waiting on the edge of your seat to hear these uh, these banquet nominees, these award nominees. So um, the more I talk, the the harder it's going to be to wait. I know that's for sure. So uh, first, uh, in the in since the Wiffle series and between then and now, the Wiffle Council has been moving and shaking a little bit. So we did have our first ever uh, Wiffle Council uh, election, and we had Josh and Steve Schroeder as potential replacements, but we had Justin, Brian, and myself all return to the council. Uh, just a quick question for the room. Do you think anyone will ever get voted out of the council? Yes, at some point. So they're four-year terms. That means that you're – I'm in the council for four more years. Uh, Brian is as, as well. Uh, I can't imagine that Russ's position is even in remotely in debate. Uh, so you think that Mike Sage is not going to be in the council? Oh, I mean, Russ's position could be in debate. I think uh, I think <laughs> someone might feel – Maybe after his umpiring <laughs> by <laughs> the Tortugas. I, I, I'm not going to speak to how everyone else voted, but – you know, when I was considering voting, I was thinking more along the lines of, do I want this person in rather than do I want this person out? So who did you vote for? I'm not telling you. So who don't you want in? Clearly wasn't me. I don't think it was me either. If, if you saw <laughs> if you saw my email, um, I clearly stated that I thought the council was doing a great job and that consistency and uh, the status quo was probably the best. So I know who voted for me on three of the votes. I want to know who didn't vote. Are you telling me you weren't the fourth? It's a lot of controversy that could be out there. Uh, we don't quite know uh, exactly where the votes landed. Russ Plus does, if, but if Russ's uh, election judging was as good as his umpiring, <laughs> Laz may not have been reelected. <laughs> we just don't know. Uh, oh, so the first round, it was seven seven Schroeder and Laz, and all of a sudden, someone made the switch. So who made the switch? Only my bank account knows that. <laughs> uh, so again, that's uh, we'll see how that plays out down the down the road. I do agree that the consistency in the council might be nice. I was completely okay if I wasn't reelected, though. I will be honest. As much as I appreciate being a part of it, uh, I also do think it'd, it'd be just fine if someone got their chance and, and made an impact. Uh, it'd be sad, and I'd have to give up my polo maybe. But in the meantime, uh, the council powers on you guys do a good job i appreciate that now whoever listens to the recordings of our meetings i I don't know who that i don't know what kind of crazy you have to be to do that consistently but uh i wouldn't do it that's for sure uh in the meantime we have for you it's pretty terrible yeah i I can't imagine uh so some of the things that did come up in that meeting that we did have uh we have a new banquet venue Uh, i don't know if it's been officially released yet but emmett's will be the location for the 2018 breaking news alert don't clap in the microphone. 
so that's gonna be a new experience for us all. Obviously, we know the bar, we know the venue, we've been there for other events, but uh, I'll be curious as the only person who voted against it. Um, I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be need to be wooed. That's for sure. It'll take an effort for me, but outside of that, it should be a fun experience. Uh, we opened up the conversation to the budget and to dues, so there's a pretty transparent proof of a lot of things for what we do now with our money. Uh, that should make it a little bit easier to justify some things that we do. Uh, again, that debate isn't really necessary anymore, but we did cover that. And uh, I, for one, tend to vote for transparency. I know it seemed like Brian and I were on the same page. As much as I like the idea of an event and putting it on, I also do like the idea of transparency. I think everyone should knows where, know where their money goes, uh, and especially if the dues are creeping over 100 we should probably be aware of that. I really liked my idea. I don't know why nobody was commented it, was on it. Was it the one where Brian and I pay for it all? <laughs> no, I, I, like I said too. I said I'm more than willing to pay for the drinks for the after party, and all you guys need to do is cover the overages from the hundred dollar dues. To be fair, Brian said he would do it. I was the one who didn't. Come on. Uh, Maybe if you weren't so busy paying people off to get those Wiffle Leadership <laughs> Council votes. Well, priorities. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Paul Stumba had probably the best idea on all that. I mean, any I, consideration to that? I'm so mad. So mad that I have to give him props. I don't want it ever. I don't want him being nice to me ever. I don't want to ever be nice to him. I want our rivalry to live in infamy. I felt like I felt like during a week of chaotic emails, of arguing, of shit hitting the fan, I thought that the best and most wholesome part of the league was my rivalry with Paul. And that's a weird place to be. <laughs> What was what was Paul's email? I read it and I I remember it, but I don't remember there being a, a it, it was, game changing suggestion. It in wasn't there. game changing. It I was feel just like a nice people summary. had already suggested that. It was just a nice summary and a nice way summarizing it all, just kind of putting it all out there, saying let's just do this, let's just try that, and let's kind of blend all this together. He mentioned adding the bottles of champagne to the table, which it was, was like a, nice a sign seating too. Yeah, have you know build, build your own tables, but also pay your own way, but also get rid of the. It was just. It was a well-done email, and again, I, it makes me not feel good inside when I have to say these things about Paul. Would Emmett's allow us to bring in outside alcohol? Incorrect. Absolutely not. Yeah, I didn't think so. We could sneak it in. Uh, all right, so uh, in addition to that, I'll briefly touch on the fact that we do have some rule changes that will be coming up, or at least some discussions around the rules. We know the infamous um, ball striking a player in the the balls. No, on a base. <laughs> on a base. Uh, we'll have to look at that to make sure we oh figure that God. out. Uh, we'll be taking a look at some plays that happened around the home run fence that involved, I believe, you at least in one of them as far as what's in play and what's out of play. And then uh, we will obviously be touching on umpires, replays, and what that looks like moving forward. So look forward to that in a future council meeting that will be taking place in between the I believe in between the banquet and the draft for more of a rules discussion leading up to the 2018 Wiffle League draft. I'm very excited to listen to all three hours of it. I am not. Uh, so we'll jump right into uh, our guest who has already been chiming in for the entire duration of this podcast, but I haven't had a chance to interview Brandon, so I'd like to have my go at hearing you respond to uh, to what I got chalked up for you. So you ready to go on that, on that front? I'm ready to go. All right, so... It's already come up. I do feel bad, but I have to ask again. So we all heard you, but what did it actually feel like inside 
to hit your first home run? What were I know you said you blacked out. I know you said it's a little bit fo- foggy, but when you saw the ball land, what was the emotion that you can describe? Well, it didn't even feel different than like a number of other hits that I've ever had. So like I expected a home run to feel just amazing. You mean on contact? Yeah, like on contact. Like I was watching Jason hit one um in another series and like he just classic just like he knew it as soon as he hit it and he just stared it down and i'm like man i want that like here no like i hit it and i was like just out of the box i'm like oh that's gonna land halfway into left field um but when it went out like again blacked out like that's just total excitement like i can't believe that just happened and considering the the stakes it's amazing yeah, I would say that uh, you probably reverted back to maybe a five-year-old uh, for your celebration. I would say somewhere around oh, five to six, I think. I want to I want to put this out. I have never in baseball hit a home run over a fence before, ever in my life. I've hit one home run ever in baseball. It was the first time I uh, Griffin Willis had bought a new bat, travel Palatine Travelers. I was the first one to use it because I was a leadoff hitter, and there was no fence, and I crushed one over the center fielder's head and had a had a inside the park home run if you want to call it but it's the only time i've ever hit a home run in baseball i can assure you that still has not happened i was about to say this is not baseball and you're still you still haven't done it yet you should play palomino with us next year if you want to do that question two that's not happening which championship was more significant fireflies or smokies i liked i liked the fireflies better and we talked a little bit about this this one's a little bit tainted for me at the same time it was so unexpected that I just I still haven't quite wrapped my head around it yet. Whereas the Fireflies felt definitive, it felt great, first championship, um, and I didn't suck ass at hitting in that series. Aside from you know the two that I had here, you know the the one main hit, sure. uh, that one felt better to me. Uh, but you know winning back to back was still pretty special. All right, so as we're uh, on this choosing uh, portion, which kid do you like best? Uh, my daughter Claire. Okay. I am. I've, I've said this before. I'm ageist. Uh, so the older they get, the more I like them. Right now, my son is in like that worst phase. Like he can't communicate. That's the key for all you that are gonna have kids. As soon as your kids can communicate, they get better. Um, but he can't communicate, and he's just started walking. And so you gotta follow him around. Otherwise, your wife's gonna yell at you when he winds up eating wood chips off the floor. Sorry, Lisa. I was not paying attention. <laughs> what what kind of house do you have? You got like trees inside, wood chip? <laughs> My dog uh, has separation anxiety, so she digs down in the basement and tears the walls up. So she just drags insulation and wood chips everywhere and dust and drywall. So we're not very good at keeping up with the daily destruction. So sometimes there's a stray wood chip here or there. Okay. <laughs> Question four, I guess. Yikes. Uh, who is your all-time favorite Wiffle League teammate? I like playing with Dave. I mean, not surprising. I've never even played with you, Josh. Don't give me so that So you've luck. won twice with him. Is that factoring in? Uh, that does factor it in. Uh, but I just I, – I get along – like I, I knew Dave when I was younger, you know, in high school, but I never really talked to Dave. <laughs> we all went to the same high school. <laughs> I never hung out with Dave. You know, I – I knew Dave from the band more ways than one. You know, that was it. And I didn't really, like, even talk Gee. to Dave until Wiffle. And, uh, you know, I got to be on a team with him for the first time last year. Really enjoyed it. Uh, I really lobbied for uh, him when Dustin was uh, the captain. He said, you've got to pick Dave. He's clutch. Got Dave. You know, again, he's just a great teammate. So, I'm going right. to go with Dave. And Dustin's uh, a close second. 
Yeah, I figured that was going to be a family divide. Uh, all right, so last question on going deep. First time captain coming up? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. What is your criteria for choosing a team name? Ooh, excellent question. Dustin has stolen both of my team names the two times he has been captain. I was going to be the Hops, and then my backup was the Smokies. Uh, my criteria is going to be I'm going to look for a team that I like the colors, and then once I pick them, I'm going to go to their website and make sure they have some decent gear. You know, because if they so, don't have decent gear, so you're telling me that colors come first, then gear. Yes, that's your criteria. Colors, then gear. I need a lighter color potentially. Where does name rank? Yeah, I'll be the king babies or whatever. I don't really care as long as they that's got a terrible cool name, cool colors, and uh, and is it nice baby, gear. Is it baby kings or baby cakes? Uh, it's one the, of those. The New Orleans team is yes. something like that. They do have good Mardi Gras colors if you're interested in that. So, I mean, yeah, I'm not like the name. I mean, all these names were uh, Chihuahuas. Like, come on. I hey, think. Great jerseys. Great jerseys. Like the great jerseys. But who cares about the name? You know, the legends did. I know that. I mean, that's a great name, but it's not all about the name. This year, the right. worst thing Col- about. Col- right. Colors and equipment or gear. We got yeah. it. All right. You're deep enough. Yikes. All right, so that was my going deep with Brandon. Uh, there is usually a rapid-fire round, but you've already heard all the questions that Justin wrote, so I kind of uh, took something from a previous segment of a previous podcast, combined it in this, and we'll have a couple of these. We're going fair or foul with Brandon Eckert. 2.72 runs allowed in the postseason. Launch angle matters, and pitching is becoming overrated in wiffle ball. Fair or foul? Pitching is becoming overrated foul. in wiffle ball. Pitching is not overrated. 2.72 runs allowed in the postseason for a Whipple Series champion, the highest by over a run. Yeah, it's one time. Okay. I think every other time shows that pitching definitely matters. So like I said earlier, any blind squirrel can find a nut once a year like the Smokies did this year. Whatever you say, Josh. Just reading the numbers. Scoreboard. Just right. reading the numbers. Rapid fire, fire foul number two. Two years in a row, the underdog prevailed in the Whipple series. Is being a favorite a curse? Sorry, no. being a favorite is a curse. Fair or foul? Foul. It's just a small sample. Um, you know, you're, you're talking the odds of 60-40. 40% of the time, they're going to lose. It's not unheard of to have the coin flip land, you know, on tails twice. Okay. And last, rapid fire, fair or foul. You like to run through fences with no regard for your body. There will be an in-game season-ending Whiffle injury in the next two years. Fair or foul? Fair. Mm. I'm going to get impaled. For sure. For sure fair. I'm going to get impaled at some point. <laughs> any any guesses on who it might be that actually will have a season-ending injury during the season? I would put myself pretty high at the top of that list. We all know Brian's other Achilles is minutes away from shattering it at some point. I would have him on my list as well. Yeah, I mean, Brian is Mr. Glass. I mean, if it's raining, you got to put throw Luke in there. Even if it's not, <laughs> I think it's reasonable to put Luke in there. Are we ta- what about like um, you know, just long-term chronic injuries? What about Russia's shoulder, you know? I know Satri had a shoulder issue. We could be starting to see some old person injuries happening. Yeah, I'm less concerned with chronic, more Chet concerned Stedman. with we could have someone throw a Chet Studman in there, and just his last pitch, he can't even throw it, so he's got to. He still won the pennant. Yeah, that's true. All right. Well, uh, thanks for playing fair or foul. <laughs> we will uh, we'll move into 
my least favorite part of every podcast every time, word association. I can't believe we're doing this with no, somebody who's already done I've it. I've done it. Let's I, skip this. It's long enough. I wrote some new ones. Okay. As long as they're new. I'll do four of them. Okay. Word association. One word. It's fine. As quick as possible. Home runs. Overrated. Bunting. What? Stupid. That's a good answer. Paul Stumbo. Excellent. Bromley Hall. Yes. <laughs> All right. That'll do it for word association with Brandon Eckert. Uh, thanks for playing. Thanks for coming back as a guest. Uh, I know that um, I haven't been invited back, so you must have done something right. Yeah, it's been two years. Me either. Yeah. Just Sorry. one and done. One and done for most of us. Uh, so I know we have a couple other things that we're going to cover. I know you're all anxiously waiting for some nominees to be announced, uh, and that will all be coming in extra innings. Ooh. That's what it says on Free the wiffle ball. Free that. wiffle ball. So uh, I'm not sure uh, what we're doing. If, if we have a if we play for that, we have a, a drop. Do we do we take a break? Uh, I'm not running this. I'm not the content producer. I'm just the host. Uh, so J- Justin, are we uh, are we taking a break? Or are we rolling right into that? No, we'll take a break here. Great. Yeah, All right. Well, then stay here. We'll be back in a little bit, and we'll cover uh, extra innings. We'll do some nominations, and uh, we'll get you out of here on this rainy Monday evening. Rainy but warm. <laughs> And welcome back for our final segment on this episode 23 of the Wiffle League podcast. Once again, I'm your guest host, Chris Lazzarini, joined by Josh Wittenberg, Brandon Eckert, Justin Florido, and Jason Hillenbrand inside the Studio H. The moment you've all been waiting for. We have a banquet coming up January 13th, Woo! 6 p.m. Emmett's Pub, Palatine. So weird saying Emmett's. It's not right. Next year, Emmett's and Wheaton. Woo, woo. Seriously, if you're paying happen. for everybody, Brandon, never, never even going to think about happening. But we do have some Isn't awards and some nominees to get to. And uh, I have the list in front of me. Uh, the back of it says, do not or don't look in case. Uh, I don't know if you guys can see that. Probably not with these white out lights, but uh, I'm looking now. So we have uh, the first award. The first award is play of the year. Oh, boy. Now, I don't really have the clips to show you. Uh, we'll see if we can get them onto the live stream. But uh, all I have are names. Uh, I believe I have all of these uh, based on Justin's text to me. So play of the year presented by Dustin Eckert and Rich Nassif. First nominee is Brian Boyson. I believe that is for hitting a ball over the fence while batting from the left-handed batter's box. I believe that's correct. Yeah, it's very unexpected. Very badass. This is the best Steve Andrews impression. <laughs> oh, I get it. Because left, left-handed? left Correct. Okay. And he also struck out the next at bat. 
Oh, yikes. Wow. Wow. Shots fired. If only Steve was listening, he would be able to react to that. <laughs> uh, the second play of the year nominee is Brandon Eckert. Yes. Which now, one? Now, which play do you think it is, Brandon? Because I know what it is. I think it's going to be the ass throwout. It is the ass throwout. Yep. That's what so, we're going to uh, call it. Yeah. We're going, I believe there's a, a Justin play at third or first. Mm-hmm. Uh, you grab the ball, you get him out, I believe. And then from the seat of your pants, fire towards the strike zone and hit a streaking Mike Satry. Yep. Uh, you hit the strike zone before Satry mm-hmm. is able to cross home plate. Ignoring the fact that if I would have just actually pegged Justin, that would have been not necessary, but it was much cooler this way. Much cooler, but you weren't using your noodle. <laughs> and the uh, the third play of the year nominee, I believe, was a postseason play, and that is Mr. Dave Leap. Yes. So that was a, a diving stab to his right, a quick throw and reception to get the out at first. The most impressive thing about that is the ball skidded off the base and seemed to pick up like velocity as it was going, and I'm not sure how Dave made that play. Well, he's a he's – a, I don't know what he is over there, but he's definitely a solid third baseman defensively. So looking at those three plays, any clubhouse favorites, leaders, any any guesses? Who do you think is going to win that award? I like this award because it's voted on by the league. It's not just you know one person deciding. It's everybody deciding. So if everybody decides that Brandon's a cheater, like we all know he is, they're going to vote for Dave Leap for his amazing grab on a ball that banked off the bag. We're going to call it the leap bag grab. I think the degree of difficulty probably gives this one to Dave. It was a really impressive play. I mean, it was impressive when I watched it from left field. And then going back into the video, it actually was more impressive than I thought, which is just incredible. I uh, I would tend to agree. I think uh, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't even give a shimmer of a vote to Brian. Uh, but yeah, shimmer of a vote. I've said it. Uh, Brandon, your play was great. It was um was it necessarily important in the grand scheme of things? Well, that's uh, that's the thing. Really, Dave was a postseason play. I think that factors in always. Uh, I thought the degree of difficulty, to your point, was probably higher. So now I told I told uh, JF this that home run robbing catches are kind of passe, uh, but I think that when you look at the three plays I could have potentially been nominated for. That play. The Listen to this robbing. guy. We could just have the Brandon Eckert play of the year as a category. <laughs> the home run <laughs> robbing play and the game winning homer. I think the other two in the postseason were probably better than that one. But So I can honestly say that the only other possible, I don't know if Justin's going to yell at me for teasing this one. The one I voted for over Brian's home run uh, was a Russ robbing home run. Russ caught a ball yep. that uh, he cleared the fence um, just seamlessly. And landed perfectly on a, a nice robbed home run. So it was a nice play. That was uh, the other. I think the one that missed out. Yeah, I was going to mention that. Uh, great play. Two years in a row, I believe uh, he was the fourth. I feel like <laughs> so, sorry, Steve. JF's talking. I'll let you know when he's done, though. No, get a, uh, no, get Steve in the Steve, mic. St- he is talking in the mic. Do you want to finish your thought, JF, or no? No, I'm good. I'm sorry to interrupt. Just I get closer. Get closer. I don't feel like context should be important in play of the year. I feel like it's just the play itself. I think we need to take it out of context. Agreed 100%. That's why you're so smart, Steve. Good input. All right, I disagree. Dave's Dave's play is still better, the best. (laughs) 
Uh, all right, so that's your Play of the Year nominees. Look forward to seeing the result of that on the 13th of January. Moving on to Most Improved Player of the Year. This is presented by Russ Anderson and Dave Leap. We have some nominees here. The first one is Jason Hillenbrand. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Man behind the glass. Uh, I believe he hit uh, nearly 500 this year, well above his his career average. He hit pretty good last year, though, right? Not quite at the level. He carried our our team pretty well. Uh, Doubles, RBIs, pitching across the board. I think offensively it was his best year by a pretty substantial margin. Jason hit uh, 4.15 this year, which is pretty outstanding. Last year, Jason hit 3.47. His career average is 3.21, so it's uh, it's a pretty good jump. Uh, second nominee, uh, I think pretty obvious, the season he had, which is Luke Pollard. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely put, uh, put together quite a few uh, really well-struck balls, really upped his game as far as the amount of – just amount of hits on base. It was actually on base a lot. Yeah, uh, they weren't cheapo hits either. They were legit hits. Not like a tamper. Yeah, he had a, he had a double. Got overturned or anything. Yeah. He had a double over uh, some outfi- some foolishly located outfielders' heads this year. But no, he, he definitely deserves the nomination. And this is his first uh, earned nomination. He was also nominated for Rookie of the Year, which you're going to be a rookie when you're a rookie. You're going to be a nominee for that. But he, he earned this one, and, and it's well-deserved. Yeah. Uh, all right, and the last nominee is Mike Satry. I think this is clear. Did he lead? Was he uh, right behind you in batting average for the regular season? Uh, I think Satry led our team in batting average. I think yep, so. he did. He batted four twenty five, which is Jeez. amazing. Yeah, just a great year out of him. Uh, a leader. I know that context doesn't matter, but it uh, it still was a season that he, as a captain, uh, he. Played like a captain, uh, even though know, he wasn't. Terrific. Well, even, even though he wasn't, uh, you know, in that tier necessarily. Mm-hmm. You're taking my quote out of context. <laughs> That's. Yeah. Uh, any reactions? Uh, is there a leader? Is there a runaway for play? Most improved player of the year. I um. I I probably take Jason out of it. Like Jason hit phenomenal this year, but I don't think he improved enough over his previous year. Like maybe over like a three-year stretch he did, but uh, from year to year, it's it's fifty-fifty between Mike and Luke right now. I think Luke just did a phenomenal thing, but I mean Satry, holy crap, what a year he had! Like last year, what did he hit? Somewhere in the two hundreds, probably. Last year, Satry hit one forty-seven. Oh my god, <laughs> that's an improvement, I would say. Uh, and but part of it here is going to be, even though we have the numbers, part of it's going to be eye test. And Satri, no one ever thinks he's a bad player. He's a good ball player. Uh, I wouldn't say Luke gets that same consideration. So if you put together a season that even though the jump isn't as great, you turn yourself into a, a, a contributor to your team, no one would ever say that Mike didn't contribute. So if you're going just eye test and take the numbers out of it, you might have your vote there. Mm-hmm. Well, another important thing to consider is that this is not just a most improved offensive player of the year. This is a most improved wiffle player of the year so you know what type of contribution is this player giving you on the defensive side or in jason's case from the mound and stuff like that um so i know what mike did but mike's always been a really good defensive player josh you want to you know clue us in a little bit on luke's performance in the field this year luke and mike 
Luke and Mike both had had very good years defensively. They both play what has come to be known as the short fielder position, which which results in a lot of instant action. Uh, not a lot of time to to set up behind a ball that's linered or lasered right at you. So a lot of the the defense on that side is is instinctual and you know first move and stuff like that. And those guys made a lot of great plays that that ended some innings and ended some rallies. So mm. I'm excited to see this one. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we move on to another intangible, hard to measure, hard to quantify award the Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, I know that you have maybe some fielding statistics, but it's mostly the eye test as far as I'm concerned. And this award is presented by Paul Stumbaugh, a beacon of defense. <laughs> First nominee. Only Paul? He's presenting by himself. Only he's Paul? Just, <laughs> he's just the most defensive guy. The hosts are not presenting this year, so it's only Paul. Uh, I think he can handle it, probably. So we have the first nominee is Russ Anderson. Deserved. That's a lot of time spent on the mound. Uh, And when he's not on the mound, he's roaming a pretty relentless left field. Uh, The second nominee for Defensive Player of the Year is Brandon Eckert. Ooh, in studio. Another another left field mound presence. A uh, couple robbed home runs. Second nomination of the night for this guy. Leader in the clubhouse with nominees. And the third is Josh. <laughs> I was going to say, how long are you going to hold out on that one? Josh Wittenberg. I think they're done alphabetically. So Those those were the same three as last year, weren't, wasn't it? That I can't confirm. That's correct. That is correct. That is correct. Justin, chime in with that. So apparently defense is uh, – doesn't ebb and flow with season to season like batting average does. Now, I um I I did have some wow plays this year. Um I did felt like my defense took a step back particularly on the mound this year. Um I probably would have subbed me for either Satri or Leap, I think. I think both of them had such outstanding years at short fielder that one of them probably could have taken that nomination, but interesting. Josh, you got that? Do you want me to <laughs> divulge some information absolutely all right well uh one of the things that i spent a decent amount of time doing this year was re-watching every single gopro video just like brandon but i actually had a reason to do it brandon just did it for the love of watching wiffle you got it. uh but i actually calculated uh the defensive stats uh attempts putouts, throwing errors catching errors and everything like that for every player so the the rationale behind the defensive nominees this year was based on fielding percentage as well as uh, errors committed compared to total opportunities and, and total fielding percentage. So not to get too deep into this, but in baseball you have different positions that have different weights on them. I feel like short fielder is a harder position to play. Do you put a weight on those percentages based off of that? Yeah, I think you need to. You need to consider the fact that certain positions, such as short fielder, you could see a, a, a large number of ground balls that are almost halted by high grass, which doesn't make it too difficult to field compared to trying to catch a home run when you're Brandon Eckert and jumping over a fence, or Russ jumping over a fence, or Brandon just walking through the fence and ruining it. <laughs> Which is why you don't see the center field, right field, 
conglomerate position nominated because the amount of opportunities is probably right. drastically less. Right. If you, if you look at somebody like Dustin Eckert, who I believe played primarily at right field except for a couple experimental innings at short fielder as mm-hmm. well as a couple experimental innings on the mound, he had 11 attempts this year. And, amazingly enough, he had 11 putouts. But I don't know if you would ever say Dustin Eckert is the best defensive player, uh, you know, in based on this year's, yeah. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not to say that he can't be somebody who would be the defensive player of the year nominee or a winner, but based on what you saw from him this year, you don't really remember him making any, you know, plays that save runs or doing anything out of the ordinary besides, you know, running and camping under a ball, catching it, making a play he should make, something like that. So you need to take into account position and number of attempts and everything like that. If somebody, I think Paul had like an astronomically low amount of attempts one year recently where he had like five attempts. I'm scared of him. Right. You know, if, if he makes five outs and has a hundred or has a hundred fielding percentage, doesn't mean he's the best defensive player. Mm-hmm. All right, so that covers the first three awards. Uh, was there any feedback so far on the Facebook stream? Any comments or questions before we get into postseason MVP? Come again? <laughs> Has anybody said anything on the Facebook live stream? I don't that think anyone's watching. We would want to talk about before uh, we go it further. Th- there are a couple questions for Brandon, but nothing specific to the awards yet. Okay, then we'll keep yeah. going. Maybe we'll cover some questions at the end. So we move on to postseason MVP. Uh, obviously, we had a, one extra series this year, so a little bit more of a sample size to choose from, uh, at least if you got to the Wiffle Series. So we have postseason MVP award presented by Chris Curtin and Jason Hillenbrand. And, uh, Dynamic presented duo. That is going to be, yeah. Yes, I mean, sir. when you're. I'm excited. When you're. Uh, okay. So uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> the first nominee is. A couch potato, Brandon Eckert. Oh, yeah, three, three nominees. Three. You're gonna be like Meryl Streep, like 25 nominees. Right, no we, wins. When, when you <laughs> got a couple. When you are at the nexus of two of the most important plays in the Wiffle series, I think it's hard to not get a nomination. That shouldn't have come as a surprise to anybody. Also, not coming as a surprise to anybody. The guy who hit four home runs, just in Florida. Wow, is this the first time we've had a nominee from a losing team? No. No. Okay. We have three nominees. Yeah, it's happened several Every times. year. Every year we've had a nominee <laughs> from a losing team. Well, well not not well, every not year, year, but every year there's three nominees, so the likelihood of there ever being a last non-winning nominee. Me, Russ, and Leap. Hey, congrats. You won last year and this year. Let's talk about it more, okay? Oh, yeah. I would Jeez. Last postseason MVP candidate, Dave Leap. We've already waxed poetic about Dave. He yep. should just win this one. Just cross Brandon out. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, the day bag snag, it's a thing. Hashtag. I know, I know that the Tortugas did not win. Not only is there a nominee from the Tortugas, I would give this award to Justin. I thought that he, I mean, if, if a couple balls fall a couple different ways, the Tortugas win and there's no question it's Justin. I know that you hit a home run that was important in game three. I can't explain how much important, how important, important it was for Justin to hit the ones he hit to hit the way he did. I would have it was a runaway for me if we would have won that it was him. I'd still think it's a leading candidate for me. I will say that I could agree with you if 
Filardo was a pitcher. If he pitched and won a game or two in the first series and then won a game or two in the Wiffle series, I think you could possibly see your first ever non-winner postseason most important, most valuable player. But as we've seen in the past, an onus is put on pitching and how important it is. As it should be. And you, right. you it, were on it, the mound at the clinching moment of mm-hmm. the Wiffle series. That's yep. going to matter. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Next award, Pitcher of the Year, speaking of pitching, presented by somebody I'm never, I believe has never taken the mound, Luke Pollard. That's correct. So, Do you know who else has never taken the mound? There's only one other person. At Chestnut? At Chestnut. Justin? No, Brian. Brian yeah. Boyson. And at, did at, you know before that, there was only one other guy who had never taken the mound at Chestnut? Tony Vesherov. <laughs> it was Paul. Gotcha. All three guys were on my team. Ah, that makes sense. Imagine that. <laughs> how could, I mean. <laughs> I don't know how we didn't win. Sorry, that was me. Got it. Uh, all right, so Bitcher of the Year, presented by Luke Pollard. First nominee, uh, annual nominee, Russ Anderson. Mm-hmm. Second nominee, yours truly. Ooh. Yep. My first my first nom of the night. I'm, I'm not unhappy about that. Nice. Mm-hmm. Kind of hoped that was going to happen. And the third nominee also at this table, Josh Wittenberg. I'm trying to catch up to Brandon. What has he got, four nominees now? Now, I tried to make an argument that Paul Stumba should be nominated. I don't think – I mean, he wasn't going to win. He tried to make an argument? So you didn't even make an argument? <laughs> you just tried? There I are, did reach out to him, and, yeah, he, there he, are, he tried. There <laughs> are two clear pitchers that are going to battle over this, and that's Russ and Laz. Uh, no offense to Josh. Uh, Josh, I feel offense, like... Offense taken. Offense taken. You, you two, just based off of the stats, you two are in the top tier, and then there's a tier two that I think that houses like four or five guys, and Paul's in there. I thought, how cool. I mean, that guy, not only did he pitch well, but his first time pitching, he stepped up when his team needed him. Define pitched well. That's not bad. <laughs> Well, we definitely nominate people with not bad stats. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> that is, is how we do it. I wanted Paul. Give this me Paul. This is damage. prestige. Okay. Uh, moving on for the sake of time and my sleep schedule. Uh, offensive player of the year is presented by offensive juggernauts, Brian Boyson and Steve Schroeder. Mm. I guess, former potential winner. I guess, well, they're not, winner. guess they're not nominated this time. Uh, kind of kind of blew the cat out of the bag on that one, but uh, – also, not that surprising. All three nominees share something. See if you can figure out what it is. They're white males. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, you can check that box uh, on the on the form. All right. First nominee is Justin Florida. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, had a good year. Oh, I, I know where this is going. Second nominee is Jason Hillenbrand. Yep. Two uh, two folks from that room. Third nominee, Josh Wittenberg. Yep. Right here. I know what it is. None of them have kids yet. No, they all, we start all went to a, Palatine. They all start with a J. Oh. Oh. Ah. Was, I'm just looking down. It just says Justin, Jason, Josh. It was. I, it According caught my eye. To the Supreme Court, I do. <laughs> <laughs> and they're Wait, all in the same change? house at the same time. Okay. So, again, Justin, Jason, and Josh. Uh, absent Mike Satry. Uh, not sure what to read into that. Do you think his numbers warranted a nominee? 
I think that could be a potential snub. He's he's definitely number four. I mean, <laughs> he's he's close. Definitely, he's definitely number four. How how confident are you in that, Brandon? Very confident. He would have been if you're considering people for this award. There are four people you consider, and he just was the odd man out. Apparently, that's correct. And it helps when the commissioner is the one creating the nominees. <laughs> well, it helps the commissioner when the stats drive this nomination. Yeah, this okay. was this was. Uh, Josh, there was definitely the some consternation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I wouldn't say this was the most challenging because a lot more work went into defensive and <laughs> pitching, just uncovering some different layers of that. The stats were already there, so we just needed to look at them a little bit more and in, 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 and in different ways. But the tightness between three and four with this award is... A triple. It's amazing. It's one triple. I was going to say, what was the stat you think was the most important that was a distinguisher? It's one triple. Because if you take one triple away and JF had one triple and Satri didn't, if you take one triple away, they have the same exact number of singles, doubles, and home runs. <laughs> On the same team with the same amount of games and at-bats, basically. Right. And, and RBIs. RBIs. We talked about this. So, Josh yeah. won the Offensive Player of the Year last year with four RBIs. So really, RBIs you can kind of take it off the table, but I believe I had sixteen and Josh. I don't know. Mike had five. You, yeah, Mike had. Five. I think it's okay to use RBIs as a tiebreaker potentially. Yeah, we kind of. We I would disagree kind of with that. I would disagree with that, Brian or Brandon. But I will say that I, th- JF has the triple, and all of their other offensive stats are the exact same. Mm. So that alone puts him there, and. Any other intangibles, walks that factored in, strikeouts that factored in? Uh, JF had three strikeouts. Satri had one. They both had zero walks. JF had one intentional walk and one sacrifice fly. So, Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing those numbers again. I think that I'm calling it right here, Mike Satri's snub. Yeah. I mean, the, the is, most telling stat tough. that we look at in uh, for offense – in addition to the Bill James runs created, is weighted on base, which mm-hmm. br- we all know Brandon loves. Yep, love it. And so this stat that we keep goes to four decimal places. So JF was point four five eight two. Satri was point four five seven eight. So point zero zero <laughs> four was a difference. Got it. So they were close. Okay. Yeah. Tough call. Yeah. Tough call. My guess is, uh, if I had to look into the psychology. Mike Satry already has the nom for most improved. Let him try to take that one and, and leave Justin with the offensive category, if I had to say it was a, that kind of conversation. Well, we all know that the only thing Satry cares about is winning Wiffle Series championships, which he has done more than anybody else, so he's happy. Got it. I'm going to catch him soon, don't worry. <laughs> You're all probably right. going to be on his team yeah, when he l- wins and you win. As long as, uh, as, long as you have some cheating. In that yes. Game. Well, you know. All right. So, uh, speaking of uh, speaking of cheating, um, the <laughs> Michael D. Hansen Sportsmanship Award. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm presenting it. I would have thought I was a clear, clear nominee, uh, but I'm also presenting with Brandon Eckert. Oh, nice. So, unfortunately, you are not also on that list. So, we'll have to shucks. We'll have to exchange some emails and put together a plan for a little routine on stage. Short as possible. Something to do with cheating. Until that happens, uh, our nominees are, these were voted on 
Uh, each member of the league had a chance to nominate someone from their own team and someone from somebody else's team. I want to say it was two points for your own team's nomination and one for the competition. Justin, is that true? Yeah, so it's two two points for a teammate and one point for an opponent. So it is just simple math. It is nothing ana- uh, analysis. Can think. anybody here explain to me the weighting there that nope. has a say in it? I would love to know. Yeah, as uh, far as the honestly, the as far as the weighting. So obviously, when you you play with your teammates every single game. And that has to have a little bit more of importance. So it's actually based off of, if you look it up, there's a there's a kind of a point system for the NBA Sportsmanship Award. A lot of it's based off of points for a teammate and then points for opponents. So that's actually kind of what it's uh, based off of. Yeah, and just it's, it's hard and to it's know. It's not a perfect system, but it, it, it gets the job done. It's hard to know the behind the scenes on another team. So I can only base it on the in-game moments as far as sportsmanship. But there's a lot of other stuff that goes into it if you look at the new definition of this award. So I yeah. can't really say. I can just go based on a hunch. And for the most point, I could have probably picked eight different players on another team. So why value two points with that as opposed to just one? Value your own choice instead. I agree. I'm going to go on the record, uh, whoever's doing the minutes for this, uh, to say that I think this is a f- dumb award. I think that if a person gets nominated by six opponents, so six votes, and loses to somebody who got three votes from their teammates and then one vote from somebody else in the league, I think that would be a crock of shit because if six people in the league think that who aren't even on your team think that, wow, this guy is super sportsmanlike, super fair and everything like that. They can vote from 12 other people and they pick and six people pick one guy. Whereas you can only vote for him from three people on your team since you can't vote for yourself. Don't you think that that person would then deserve to win? Now, obviously I don't know if that ever happened or ever would happen, but I would just think that that would be, a crying shame if that person didn't win in that scenario. I think that's fair. I think we'll consider that as we continue to perfect and evolve this league uh, for the sake of this year's award. That won't be the case. So with that, the first nominee, Josh Witt. No, it was <laughs> not Josh. Yeah. Plus, Josh uh, will never win that award. No, it was It fine. was not Josh, and uh, it was not me. So the first nominee is Russ Anderson. Mm-hmm. Okay. The second nominee is Brian Boyson. Okay. <laughs> That's the third nominee is Justin Filardo. <laughs> so, again, the Michael D. Hansen. Maybe there's just irony baked into the award at the beginning, but the Must Michael D. Be. Hansen Sportsmanship Award, Russ Anderson, Brian Boyson, Justin Filardo, and I All believe this will be presented. Uh, Ooh. Interesting. Okay. Someone yeah. just won an Interesting. award. Interesting. Hey, members don't lie on this one. Unless no one voted, then it would be a weird story. So, uh, And then, of course, the crowning jewel achievement of the night, the Stephen M. Andrews Lifetime Achievement Award presented by Josh Wittenberg, and it's presented to Rich Dickey Nassif. Ooh, yeah. Rich Dickey Nassif. The Dickard. Someone we'll never see again. The, uh, <laughs> the full-time host of this podcast. I can say that confidently. <laughs> I, th- I think I can say that confidently. <laughs> Uh, so I would like to go around the room. Uh, the awards, uh, the nominees have been covered. 
the interviews have been concluded. The season is wrapped up. Any final takeaways either from this episode or the season in general, Josh? I'm just so distraught to learn that Brandon cheated and admitted it and just didn't admit it to Russ in the moment. Very sad. Brandon, final takeaway. It was a weird fucking season. <laughs> we had a 3-6 and six team wind up winning the Wiffle Series after beating a team with three people and then winning on a controversial play and a home run from a guy that hadn't hit a ball more than two feet the entire series. So, All right. whatever. Let's go to next year. Uh, Justin, are you prepared to yeah. have a takeaway? Yeah, my takeaway is the Lifetime Achievement Award, the most important award of the night. Uh, a well-deserved, I guess, win. I don't know if that's the right <laughs> word to use, but uh, yeah, I just want to mention it. I mean, Rich really... He's had a good impact on this league. He was uh, kind of waiting in the wings for a couple of years, really wanted to participate, and uh, eventually joined up. And I think he's done a really good job, especially in recent years, with his contributions to the podcast and uh, just overall enthusiasm. I know sometimes uh, he can play the antagonist, but uh, certainly well-deserved. So congratulations uh, to Rich. I apologize. Was Do we not do the reveal of that was that the first reveal of that award the, yeah the first reveal we used to do that at the uh, wiffle series right yeah, yeah and we didn't do that this year and we then i just glossed over it <laughs> that's right uh all right so yeah I, I i apologize rich um congratulations on the lifetime achievement award yeah yeah all right all right all right <laughs> uh you'll have your time on the stage i'm sure um if you wanted to have a. Uh, uh, a, a day's Vegas play on over under for Rich's speech at I'd put it probably seven and a half to eight minutes somewhere in that range for an over under, uh, and I'll take bets at Emmett's. Josh, are you just gonna read from your best man speech at the wedding? <laughs> uh, I could if I wrote it down. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I can. Wedding do video. It. Actually, can we just take the video? I can from do it, it from. I I remember it. No, so. I would take the wedding video and just play that instead, Perfect. and then just sit and, and watch it. I could do that. All right, uh, Jason, do you have a final takeaway either from this episode or from the season? No, I'm happy we made it through this. So <laughs> <laughs> he's happy we made it through. Happy right? we made it through this season or this podcast? Both. Both. Absolutely. Yeah, both. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and my takeaway is just uh, the the life and, and the vibrancy of this studio, having a chance to sit on this side of the microphone tw not once but twice this season. Um, I obviously don't want to remember anything that happened on the field uh, or anything that happened for most of this podcast, but at least, uh, I mean, to put me across from uh, not only a, a, a Wiffle Series back-to-back -back winner, a, a home run stealer, uh, a child celebrator, a cheater, uh, Justin's nemesis, it's uh, it's it's been a certain form of torture, but it's been it's been brilliant, and I appreciate the opportunity. So, uh, Rich, uh, if you if your schedule doesn't allow. I'm sure that Steve and I would love to uh, continue having a chance to do this. So that's my takeaway. I appreciate you not jumping across the table to strangle me. Laz, you can take solace in the fact that of Brandon's 14 total Wiffle League strikeouts, <laughs> you've struck him out eight times. That helps a little bit. That so. does help a little bit. So thank you for uh, bearing with us out there. Uh, I did. We didn't never went to Facebook on this one. Uh, I, I hate to do it at the final sign-off, but Justin, was there anything on Facebook? Did anyone give us life or funny or comments or questions that's worth talking about? Yeah, I'll say one question. It was from Dustin, who's Brandon's brother. Oh, God. 
who is your favorite child? You that, already well, that answered was, that. That was already asked. It asked and answered. A half a second to answer that. Yeah, it was Claire, for <laughs> oh. sure. All right. That oh, yeah. was my favorite one, and I, I'm sorry. I probably was, uh, yeah, it was part of going deep. buried in something else yeah. over here. All right. Yeah, no so, contest. Okay. So it, that being the case, all right, we have a second question. Who is your favorite twins? This is from Rich. The Olsen twins or the Minnesota twins? Oh, definitely the Olsen twins. All right. I mean, I never really – I think I went to a twins game once back in the old – Humpty Dumpty, Hubert H, Humphrey, whatever dome. But uh, yeah, I watch Full House all the time. If I could I, add, Olsen I twins are just one person so going back and forth really fast. Easy Stephen Colbert or even John Oliver. Yes. Now here's the thing: I realize it's very easy to kind of pile on the twins thing. You, you and Dustin being twins, but w- I don't know if you n- are aware of this. What are the, what are the odds? So you're you have a second set of twins in your family it's crazy right. so there's you and dustin and then your brother and sister right what are the odds of that do you have any idea like what the odds of that are i, I know, know you talked a little bit about it and i found it fascinating it's a genetic abnormality with my mom so i don't know what the hell the odds are of that but uh well if i i want to add one more you said olsen twins and minnesota twins what about the arnold schwarzenegger never and Danny devito yeah. twins no? never seen it all right, well, that wasn't on the list, and that wasted that look up. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Keeping on the theme of twins, what are the odds that I draft Dustin next year and we're on the same team for like four years out of five? It's up to you. Vegas plays. All right, I got a good qu- one good question to end on. Okay. I got the twin stats if you guys want to know. All right, while you're looking that up, Josh, I got a good one. How did the brosectomy go, you and Paul? <laughs> uh Paul might have been there, creepily staring at me, but as far as I know, I was the only one there. And uh, I any think side it, effects? Uh, yeah, I had some complications. Frozen um, peas? Well, no, um, but I did have a lot of swelling and pain for longer than I should have. So uh, I'm good now. Um, but yeah, it was it was a harrowing two weeks. Off the rails. Sounds horrifying. Yeah. Josh, right. twin, twin stats. All right. So it says if you have had obviously to the mother if you have had one set of fraternal twins yep. without fertility drugs mm-hmm. then it shows a pattern of releasing more than one egg per cycle therefore mm-hmm. your chance of a second set is about 1 in 3000 which is not crazy you would think it would be colossal sucks for cinny bear apparently it was just a trend uh all right so as we are mercilessly mercifully both taking this to the end i did want to read one uh, last little piece of uh script from justin so i glossed over this i forgot because i covered a lot of it but uh, i did want to read out that the wiffle leadership council cordially invites you and a guest to the 11th annual wiffle winter banquet hosted by steve andrews and mike satry saturday january 13th 2018 at 6 p.m at Emmett's tavern and brewing company in palatine illinois assuming so you're a member of the league party at the commissioner's house immediately following the awards presentation so that was i just wanted to cover that so uh that is all i have brandon thank you for joining us in studio uh jason justin thank you for running the logistics josh always thank you for the statistics the input the passion and the anger (laughs) and uh i am uh, and steve i'm sorry steve andrews thank you for being a presence in the room that is calming and frightening at the same time 
Uh, I am Chris Lazzarini, and that is it for episode 23 of the Wiffly Podcast. Have a good night, guys. Don't stop the party!